And I think for a lot of men, the temptation may be just really to try to change the behavior. But what we know is if we don't understand what's driving the behavior, we're going to be tempted to go back. Another image I use is it's kind of like if there's a gas fire, I can keep trying to address the flames, but I'm not really going to make any progress until I'm able to turn off the gas and get rid of the source of the fire. And so that's one of the reasons that we talk about this idea of the why. Why did we do it? And one of the things that we really want people to understand is we don't deal with the past in order to blame the past. That, that's never going to serve us. We want to understand the past because if we can understand the past, then we can use that understanding to begin to change the future. Um, and so we are going to be talking to men about their stories. And for some people, it seems kind of a unique approach. Why are we going to talk about the past when all of the chaos is in the present? But what we know is that motivation, that old wound, that old chaos is what's driving their current behavior. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be with you today. I'm Randy Everett, the co-host, together with our host, Dr. Greg Miller. As usual, we have a very special guest with us today as we have uh, dived deeply into the team here <laughs> at Faithful and True, and uh, we're able to arrange Jim Farm. The way you said that, it feels like I'm like on the end of the bench. And the no, no, no. We've called Jim <laughs> the in off the bench. We're bringing him in, kids. <laughs> we got so desperate for a guest today that we uh, we brought in Jim Farm, clinical director of Faithful and True. It's like the Vikings' last gamer that had the four stringers out there. That's what I'm feeling like right now, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> you're not your first team, right? Just, just you know. are a first teamer for us. Believe me, you're not. Until you throw an interception today, <laughs> then we're yanking you. So at any rate, we're happy to have Jim with us here. Here we are, 2024. Amazing. Doing brand new podcasts, and uh, we're happy to have all of you with us today. Uh, we brought Jim in because uh, earlier, if you've been following the series that we have been doing on rebuilding trust, we've got a couple more installments that we would like to do mm -hmm. and record, and uh, we brought Jim in. He's the uh, perfect one for that. Jim, of course, is an LMFT as well as a CSAT. Uh, for those that are wondering what those initials are, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist as well as a certified sex addiction therapist. So Jim has just got all kinds of <laughs> impressive credentials. Right? Yeah, I was I was wondering what else you were going to add on the back of that. <laughs> well, there's a couple of other acronyms that I could use, but exactly. that's a whole different show. Those are usually not broadcasts. No, that's no. right. No, I, I can't make those things public. Those, those are things I only share with you off camera. And as Randy said, let's continue on. Um, we are going to be talking about this idea of building trust, and we've been doing this series for a while. And so one of the things that we are aware of that helps to build trust, especially early in the recovery, is when the husband is able to answer or at least have an understanding of the why of the addiction, the, the motivation, what caused him to do it. And here at Faithful and True, when we do the workshop, we spend a lot of time um, giving men some tools so that they can begin to understand it. But just to start with, why do you suppose, Jim, it is helpful for a wife when the husband can begin to help her to understand what some of the motivation or why 
he might be acting out the way that he did. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Actually, it came to mind a couple of weeks ago. One of my, my son's vehicle just it was having a hard time transitioning from one gear to the next. And so I, I've known this mechanic for years. So I call him up. I go, like, you know, his car is having a hard time kind of going from one to the next. You know, why is it doing that? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> and he goes, you got to bring it in so we can check it out. But when he said, I don't know, I'm like, that's not good. Right. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't know, then it's difficult to address the issue. You know, we could, many times we can deal with the symptoms. Another image that I use is if I have a fever, I can take, you know, Tylenol or something and try to reduce the fever. But if I don't understand what's causing the infection, I'm not really addressing the deeper issue. And I think for a lot of men, the temptation may be just really to try to change the behavior. But what we know is if we don't understand what's driving the behavior, we're going to be tempted to go back. Another image I use is it's kind of like if there's a gas fire, I can keep trying to address the flames, but I'm not really going to make any progress until I'm able to turn off the gas and get rid of the source of the fire. And so that's one of the reasons that we talk about this idea of the why. Why did we do it? And one of the things that we really want people to understand is we don't deal with the past in order to blame the past. That, that's never going to serve us. We want to understand the past because if we can understand the past, then we can use that understanding to begin to change the future. Um, and so we are going to be talking to men about their stories. And for some people, it seems kind of a unique approach. Why are we going to talk about the past when all of the chaos is in the present? But what we know is that motivation, that old wound, that old chaos is what's driving their current behavior. Yeah. Yeah, we, I often talk about you can't understand the addiction without understanding the conditions in which that addiction kind of mm -hmm. came to be, you know, and so, and it's not an excuse, we, we've said that before, we say that quite a bit, it's, it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation for why that addiction is in place. Right. And it's really important for a spouse to know that her husband knows why did you do that or why are you doing that. Right. You know? Well, and we talk here about addiction occurs anytime we're trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way in a repetitive pattern. And recovery is when I identify what the legitimate need is and then I begin to meet that in a legitimate way. Well, the answer to the question of what is the legitimate need that I'm trying to meet in an illegitimate way is going to be found in my past. It's those associations. That first time that I was introduced to something sexual and I had that neurochemical rush and I began to feel relief or excitement or I started to feel connected and, and not alone. Those associations really are what years later can be driving the choices that somebody's making. That's right. And, you know, we've talked about this on a previous podcast. I think it might have been over the summer. So the, the need usually drives us towards that addiction. But how you chose to act out is oftentimes how you're wounded. Mm -hmm. And so once we understand how we're wounded, we can make those connections. So similar things happen in the future. We have a different option to respond to them. Um, if, if somebody comes into your office and, you know, one of the phrases that we can hear is, well, I don't remember a lot about my past, you know. And in fact, what, what's true for a lot of the men that come to the workshop, the first time we start talking about this it's, it may not be so much resistance as it's just confusion because they don't remember a lot. Do you have some encouragement or coaching or something that you can do for men who would say, I don't remember a lot, to begin to engage their past? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think that's most helpful, and we hear, we hear this, we're going to hear this this week, you know, as guys come to the workshop and we start to get into small groups. And I hear this almost every month where a guy says, I didn't even think about that until I heard that other guy say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we start hearing other men's stories, it starts to bring forth some of the memories that our brain might have been protecting us from. Right. I also, you know, when a guy says to me, you know, I, I don't remember a lot about growing up, I encourage him to try to be specific about the concrete things. What, what can you remember about the school that you went to, the house that you lived in, the room that you stayed in? Because our brains many times can keep those images and if I can get a clear memory of, okay, this is what my room looked like, or this is the school that I went to, then we can start filling in those spaces with the memories and the experience that occurred in those spaces. Yeah. So if somebody's listening and they're going, well, you know, I don't even know how to begin, I don't remember a lot, um, to begin to think what were the actual spaces that I was living in back then, and then what were some of the experiences, what were some of the relationships um, the friendships, the connections that might have happened in those places. Yeah, yeah, and one of the other things I do as well is have them, you know, do they hear themselves saying the same thing over and over again? Mm -hmm. Like I had a guy one time say, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, I didn't want to say no to her because I didn't want to be lonely. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he first came in, he, he had shared those exact words when he's describing, you know, a sexual abuse experience. Here right. Younger on. You know, and he wasn't connecting the dots, but, you know, using that same language, what are the things I hear myself saying over and over again? Absolutely. Kind of the script that is in my head that I keep repeating over and over. You know, when we're, we're talking about the past, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, you know, I kind of know some stories, but I don't know what to do with them. And so what we want men to understand, that one of the images that we use here when I'm teaching is this idea of the soil and the seed. You know, in the scripture, there's the parable of the soil. And basically the idea is there's this various kinds of soil, the seed, the gospel is scattered, and how the soil and the seed interact determine what grows. Just an aside, I love this. I was reading a commentary, and they said in the commentary, most of the time when we hear that parable, we focus on the soil. But the focus of the parable is actually on the sower. And if you read through the lens of the sower, what we know is no matter what the soil is, the sower was still generous with the seed. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Even if I'm the rocky soil, even if I'm the hardened soil, the sower is generous with the seed. And in time, if the soil is nurtured, then amazing things can grow. Mm -hmm. so that's just an aside. Uh, I like that. I'm so anyway, um, using that image, so it is about what kind of soil am I, you know, what do I receive? What can grow? And for me, one of the things that I think is important is understanding what are my core beliefs. And we spend a lot of time at the workshop talking about a core belief because what I believe, not what I'm supposed to believe, but what I actually believe is what determines many of my choices. For instance, the guy that you mentioned, this idea that I'm responsible for somebody else's loneliness may be the core belief I have. And so if I perceive that somebody is lonely, then I automatically have response for some sort of resolution. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is important that I understand what my core beliefs might be. Yeah, yeah. All that to say, a lot of this, you know, when we talk about the why question, it's very complex. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes the people just want, you know, this is the answer. 
but it's right. not like that. It, it's multifaceted and it's very complex. It's, yeah. it's, there's usually multiple reasons for the why. Yeah. yeah. And, and even that idea that if someone is offering you a simple solution to a complex problem, it, it's going to not be helpful. In fact, if someone's offering a simple solution to a complex problem, they just look foolish. And you do need people in your life that have the capacity to engage the complexity of this issue. You know, one, one of the responses that we get a lot of times is a guy will show up at the workshop and say, well, I don't know why I'm here. I never was fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of men, it's this idea of never was abused or I don't have any trauma or it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. And for some of the guys, they may be minimizing what they've experienced and they don't see the significance of it. But for other guys, they can legitimately say there wasn't this horrific experience. But very much like you said, for most of us, it's not just one painful experience that's driving it. And even for the person that has a painful experience, that's not the only thing that's contributing to the addiction. And so understanding there's a variety of different factors that are contributing to it. And if I can understand the core beliefs that those experiences created, then I can begin to understand more about my motivation. That's right. And so when this question's asked of a husband, you know, Really, you know, what I encourage is this is what I know thus far. Mm -hmm. And as I start to develop more of an awareness, I'll share that as we go along rather than, you know, this is why. Right. You know. Is that all a part of their healing journey that yeah. that the real reasons are revealed to them as they go along? Yeah. And it, it really is kind of backed up by trauma is we're not going to remember everything at once. Our brain would be overwhelmed with that. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to know the complete why right away. It's going to kind of be slow and over time. Right. And I, I do think that that's a great point is um, for those listeners who do have some pretty significant and painful experiences, um, they may not immediately be accessible. Um, I, I believe that sometimes we have to work to create enough safety within ourselves in order to remember. Um, I once um, heard a, a doctor say one time that if the body is in too much pain, the body can't heal because the body has to put energy toward the pain man, um, uh, man, uh, management. Sorry, kind of stuck there. So it has to, to work with the pain management. So sometimes the body has to heal enough in order to even remember the painful things. And there's also that principle if sometimes I have to be well enough to have surgery. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm still in a lot of chaos and I don't have an infrastructure that can handle the memories, it makes perfect sense I'm not going to be able to, to reclaim them. But as I get stronger in myself and I get you know stronger in my truth, then I have more capacity to remember. That's why... Even if I'm not in a place of remembering, recovery is very important because I'm building my infrastructure. Yeah. And it brings up another point as you're talking, Greg, that oftentimes in order to understand the why, we have to have a safe place where we can explore that. Mm -hmm. I think I was sharing with you probably a month ago, I had a client that, you know, his parent had died and he didn't remember sexual abuse. He's like 50 years old and he didn't remember until the day that his mother died, that she had sexually abused mm -hmm. him as an adolescent. But see, she was gone now. Right. And so his brain somehow associated he's safe enough it's to be able safe. to share that yeah. now. Yeah. Well, and what's true is we do have to be away from the trauma and the pain many times in order to start remembering it. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be that safe distance. You know, one of the things that is true is for many men, when they're asked the question, why did you do this? Um, their answer is coming out of a lie of shame. I'm worthless, I'm pathetic, I'm a pervert, I'm disgusting. 
Well, that's not going to be helpful. Our shame keeps us held hostage. It is the truth. Whatever is true is true, and it's the truth that's going to set us free. And so for someone to recognize, it's important that to the best of my ability, I am living in the truth of my own story and my own experiences. You know, it's, it's interesting. For a lot of men growing up, they were given a narrative about their family. They were told, we are a good family. You know, we are respectable. And so they have this kind of narration in their head about who their family was. And many times they are shocked to begin to discover that what I was told or what I was led to believe about my experiences aren't actually reflective of the experiences that I've had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things we have to recognize, you know, I've always said this, none of us were raised by Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, so it's recognizing the ways we have been wounded, you know, right? or how we've been impacted, because we have been impacted, and it helps us to understand what do we need to work on or what do we need to mature in ourselves. Right. Well, and one of the, you know, kind of uh, principles that we really emphasize is we don't believe there are good families and bad families. We don't believe that, you know, you were either raised right or wrong. What we believe is all families have andness, and there were some things that were done well, and there were some things that were hurtful and painful. And it's only when we're able to live in the fullness of the truth. Um, many of us get caught up in a distorted understanding of loyalty. Of, oh, I can't say anything negative about my family or my childhood um, because that's disloyal. But I believe truth is what ultimately is the foundation of loyalty. I can only be loyal to that which I understand. And so the more I'm living in truth, actually the more loyal I can be. So we want men to recognize, maybe for the first time, let's look at the fullness of the truth of your experiences. And this isn't just about your family. You know, again, yes, families are significant. They shape and form us. And yet, as children, we were exposed to a lot of things. It's inside my home and outside of my home. It's what happened in my school, in my clubs, on my teams, at church, in the neighborhood. Um, wherever I was living, I can be shaped and formed both positively and negatively by those experiences. And so here at Faithful and True, when men start talking about the past, yes, we're going to talk about our family, but it's very important that we look at the fullness of the story, not just that one section of it. Yeah, yeah. Let me share a story of, of, a, of a client I saw in sure. the past, just to kind of give a, a, a look into what this might look like. So I had a client that around five or six, his parents divorce. And so they split off and he's feeling pretty alone. But within that same year, an older neighborhood boy, you know, has him and another neighborhood boy, you know, act out sexually with a a younger neighborhood girl. Okay, and so you can imagine that he's still excluded from his family, but then his whole middle school and high school, he's kind of excluded, he's kind of smaller, so he's not included in the sports and he's kind of awkward, so he's not really included. very many social experiences. And so, you know, his more main form of acting out when he comes in to see me is he's engaged in threesomes and, you know, group sex. And I ask him straight out, ever down on you, like, why you chose that? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't you choose just pornography or an escort or a prostitute or something like that? He goes, well, I just, I just think my addiction accelerated. And I go, well, for me, it seems like you, when you act out is when you feel excluded at work mm-hmm. or in your community, and that drives that energy, and you found the solution in this group sex. Right. You're included. Right. 
You see what I mean? And so he's starting to understand his why. Right. Well, and the idea is, back to that idea of addiction occurs when we're trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Well, the legitimate need is to be included. You know, in the book, Mark and Deb wrote The Seven Desires. One of our desires is to be included. And so when we are excluded, it doesn't suddenly mean that our desire to be included goes away. It actually intensifies. And so in this particular story, he found a place of inclusion and now his brain and the association is, oh, the legitimate need is to be included, and yet the illegitimate way to try to be included is through some experience with other people sexually in a group or a threesome or whatever. Yeah. And so the more I can go, oh, okay, this is about inclusion, now I can identify this is a legitimate need, what's a legitimate way to meet that need? Yeah, and not only that, but for him, it's also the, you know, kind of the repair of the sexual abuse where, where he lost his sense of power. Mm -hmm. Power has been used against him. So in this situation, he's in control. He's got the power. You see what I mean? So it's helping him to understand right. how do I use power? How do I use, how do I regain that sense of power that was lost when I was a little boy? Right. Okay, so back to this idea of the soil and the seed, the, the parable. So if our soil is made up of our core beliefs, then the seeds are our experiences. Yeah. So we have these principles, these core beliefs, and then we have these experiences that are planted in them. And for you know, what we've talked about, many of the things that we've talked about are difficult and painful experiences. And what we do know is that trauma um, drives addiction. Trauma um, drives the desire to cope and to medicate. What we also see pretty consistently is for some men, it wasn't just painful experiences that they're trying to... Um, heal from through some sort of acting out. It's also positive experiences that they're trying to recreate. And so if a guy is just looking at his story through the lens of what were the painful things that happened, he's going to have a limited view of his addiction. But to be able to say, were there any positive experiences that temporarily were meaningful or temporarily they rescued me from my loneliness or my insecurities, then I may be wanting to recreate those. Um, for a lot of guys, maybe it was that first experience in a relationship, that girlfriend, that kiss, that going to the movies or whatever. But in that moment, they felt chosen, they felt included, and now they believe that some other person is going to rescue them and rescue them from their loneliness, their insecurities, their fears. And so when I'm working with a guy, I want to make sure that, yes, we want to talk about the difficult, painful things, but we're also going to be talking about, were there any experiences growing up that were kind of an oasis that rescued you from the other chaos that was going on that maybe unconsciously you're wanting to recreate now? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great, great uh, example because it's, we, we talk about it as anything that allows the present moment to be livable. Mm -hmm, you know? Right. So if, it, if I'm able to recall these positive experiences, it allows me to deal with this pain that I don't know how to deal with otherwise. You're, and we, we talk a lot about fantasies, that all fantasies are rescue fantasies. So you want to be rescued from something and you want to be rescued to something. So in this case, I'm a junior high boy. This girl is interested in me. We go to the movies together. Maybe nothing sexual happens. Maybe it's just physical. Maybe we hold hands. Maybe there's a kiss at the end of it. But in that moment, I am temporarily rescued from my loneliness, my insecurities, my fear. So I want to be rescued from loneliness to connection. I want to be rescued from insecurity to confidence. And my brain remembers this experience. And then at some point later, I'm exposed to something sexual. And so now there's a sexual component. 
And so that can be the beginning. But the beginning wasn't necessarily a sexual experience. The sexuality was layered later in my life, but it began with that first connection that I had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly true, especially for guys that come from more of the neglect, they, you know, where they grew up in families where emotional needs were really not known or addressed. Mm -hmm. And so you, then you experience these positive things and you get your first experience of being known and having intimacy. It's a pretty strong draw. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when Mark was living, one of the things I often heard him say was that for him and his belief that abandonment pain, and abandonment is when our needs go unmet, when ab abandonment pain has just as much energy in the addiction as the invasion. Yeah. And invasion is when something happens that shouldn't have happened. And so when we did the research, we separated invasion and abandonment and measured, and Mark was absolutely right, the research showed that abandonment energy is just as great in the addiction as invasion energy. And so for the men that are saying, well, nothing really bad happened to me, to look at some of the ways that they were abandoned, they had needs and those needs went unmet, um, that can also be part of the way that, that the addiction is being driven. Yeah. Oftentimes that's the big, big one mm -hmm. actually. And, and they're exactly right, they don't know because you don't know what you don't right. know. You don't know what you didn't receive. Right. And you know what's interesting is for a lot of men, they become more aware of their abandonment once they have their own children. I've heard so many men say that they've had experiences with their children when they were young and they kind of had this awareness of, I don't remember this happening for me when I was growing up. You know, maybe they're on the floor playing with Legos with their kids and they go, I don't remember my parents getting on the floor with me or I don't remember um, them engaging me or cuddling or, or whatever the situation may be. And so sometimes we become more aware of abandonment when we begin to see other people in relationships or we begin to have a relationship with our own kids. And so part of it is being aware and kind of, if something get is, is getting prompted in you, just to slow down and pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, it's the loneliness that they'll remember. Because mm -hmm. the, the hard part is this, is if your parents are physically present but not emotionally present, that's where the real pain is. Right, and that's where the real confusion is. That's right. I've had a lot of guys say, you know, my parents were at everything that I did. So they showed up, they were at my games or the concerts or whatever I was involved in. And yes, that may be true, they were there physically, and yet they didn't have the capacity to be there and be present with you. So their physical presence almost was a camouflage of the loneliness and the abandonment that you were experiencing. Yeah, yeah. How would you say, Greg, in regards to this question of why, how does this get played out with a spouse in terms of moving towards trust? How, how do we communicate that? Well, I would we... say one thing. It's about timing. You know, if you rush too quickly to try to explain the why, or if your wife is not in a place to hear the why, it can easily come across as an excuse or rationalization or a justification. And so that's why, you know, I think it's helpful for women to get educated about addiction so that they can begin to understand that there is a why. And what's interesting is the why actually brings hope. You know, it's kind of like back to your car. If I don't know why it's not shifting and nobody can tell me why, I don't have confidence that it's not going to have problems in the future. But if the mechanic can say, oh, this is the issue, this is what I see, this is what we've done to address it, then I can have more confidence that it's going to get fixed. Yeah. Well, the same thing is true here, is if my husband can explain to me what is the legitimate need I've been trying to meet illegitimately, where did I begin to... to 
act out in this way, and these are the things I'm trying to do to meet the legitimate need in a legitimate way, I can have more confidence that he can stay sober. Now, one one of the, the hopeful messages, I think, is there is a reason why we do what we do. There is a reason we are drawn to what we're drawn towards. We just have to be detectives. I often tell people, be a detective to your own life. Mm -hmm. And in fact, for many of us, we have shame. Oh, I'm just worthless. I'm pathetic. I'm a loser. That's why I did what I did. Shame shuts down my curiosity. Mm -hmm. And if we're really going to get free, I have to be curiosity. The part, I have to be curious. Part of the journey is going from shame to curiosity in my recovery, believing there is an answer to that question. And if I can answer the question for myself and for the people in my lives, then we can have more hope and confidence in my recovery. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. When the, when the mechanic called back and said, I got a code for what's wrong. I ran a code. I'm like... We're good. Yeah. Don't you wish we all had a code <laughs> so we could just plug in and come up on the machine? But now that we've fixed Jim's car, we'd like to uh, wrap things up for today. Jim, thank you so much for being with us yeah. again today. That's a great conversation. Uh, Greg, thanks for your uh, wonderful uh, wisdom and insight and experience. Uh, we'd like to thank our listeners and our viewers for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. If this message has come across to you and opened your eyes to the potential that you need the help that Faithful and True uniquely can offer you, we invite you to visit our website, faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find many uh, resources and uh, podcasts like this. We have over 400 podcasts available to you. But we'd like to also encourage you to take a look at the three-day intensive men's journey workshop. We offer it every month. And uh, Greg has made several references to it today. Uh, it's a life-changing event that I think that you're going to benefit greatly from. So check out the Men's Journey Workshop at FaithfulAndTrue.com. The same for the spouses and the couples. We uh, Three times a year, we host the Women's Journey Workshop. We have one coming up at the end of January for the women. And then uh, in February, although it's full, I, I sh shouldn't really be promoting it too much because our couples workshop in February is already full, but we do have another one later this year. So take a look at our website for those details. Until then, we uh, hope that this week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. <laughs>